0: is Anabaptist Perspectives.
1: I'm here with Finney Caravella. We're in Boston, Massachusetts at Sattler College, which you helped start. And something, uh, obviously it's called Sattler College, so you're inspired by Michael Sattler, apparently a fair amount. And and there's something there that I think some of our audience might not know, but he was um, pretty well-known academically. He had done a lot of higher education, things like that. Discuss his academic career and his scholarly writings.
0: We don't know a lot about his life. Unfortunately, Mm -hmm. I wish we had a lot more information about him. But what we do know is the Hutterite Chronicles records that he was fluent in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. Um, And we do know, we actually have four accounts of his trial. So, of course, he was famously put on trial before he was Mm -hmm. executed. And when he was on trial, and the accounts agree on this, he gave his defense in Latin. And so, so that is, I think, a pretty amazing feat. So wow. picture that. You're on trial. Possible consequence of mm-hmm. being killed. And here you're having to do your entire discourse in Latin. And so he was no doubt a learned man. And what we do have of his writings, Schleitham Confession, things like that, document and prove mm-hmm. that he indeed was a capable writer there. So we have less information, like I said, biographically about him compared mm-hmm. to people like, say, Grebel or Menno Simons, others. But what we do have is very impressive. And mm-hmm. what I like about him is that he's an, an example of a person who brings together excellence in his academic and educational pursuits. But obviously he's now wedded that to service mm-hmm. f- for the Lord and service for the kingdom. And so that's, that's really the ideal. And what what so often happens is people lose sight of how those can actually help each other. And mm-hmm. they're, not, they're, they're not, they shouldn't be at least competitive. They shouldn't be things that we view as opponents, but as synergistic.
1: Yeah, so was he unusual? Like, was he unique in the Radical Reformation, or were, were many of the others?
0: So, the, many of the others were actually very highly educated as well. So, okay. Conrad Grebel, who was the, the leader of particularly the Swiss Brethren, the Swiss mm-hmm. Anabaptists, and most would say he was the most important of the leaders, it is widely regarded, Harold S. Bender is a person who would agree with this assessment, hmm. that his his Greek, for example, was he was regarded as one of the best Greek scholars alive. So Erasmus wow. was, most people would say, was the best Greek scholar of that day. And most people would put Grebel in the company of those people right at Erasmus' heels. Wow. And so... Uh, Grable had made his splash, so to speak, and how he even got associated with, mm-hmm. with Zwingli and all that was through his academic pursuits. Mm-hmm. And really, the Anabaptist movement began out of the, the university academic environment, as did the Protestant Reformation, mm-hmm. uh, with people who were diligently applying themselves with study of the original languages to the Bible. Wow, so this
1: wasn't an unusual thing? To have no, it that.
0: wasn't unusual, and so the wow. Anabaptist movement would not have occurred if it were not for the academic pursuits of mm-hmm. of people like Conrad Grebel. And Michael Sattler, was, he was a monk before he mm-hmm. joined the Anabaptist movements, but he obviously was very studious mm-hmm. in his years of preparation while he mm-hmm. was a Benedictine monk.
1: So a bit of a what-if here, and you already kind of touched on this, but how would have the Reformation looked different if they hadn't put so much importance on
0: the academic side? So it, the the Anabaptists, I don't believe, and we can obviously speculate here, but I don't think the Anabaptist movement wouldn't, would have ever began because wow. because so much of it. Just so, if we go back and look at at, at Zwingli and what happened there, there was a lot of intense study that was occurring. Mm-hmm. That was this amazing cauldron that these ideas were being born out of, right? And so, had it not been for that environment of diligent application of scholarship and study of the original languages toward, towards the text, how would these ideas have come about? And in particular, some of the ideas about infant baptism, about non-resistance, separation of the world, I mean, those had to be established using deep, deep ideas. Hubmeyer would be another person who was also, Mm -hmm. you know, very educated. These were very much ideas that that came out of very intense Mm -hmm. exegesis of the scriptures. And so, I think it would be very unlikely to imagine the Anabaptist movement beginning without the leadership of these men.
1: Mm -hmm. So, we're looking at the past and and the effect that it had, and and you're saying it had a a huge effect. Mm -hmm. So now, how for us today, looking back on that, what can we learn from, from those forefathers?
0: Yeah, so I, I think what we have to learn is, is the following. So first, we have to be careful to avoid either ditch, right? So, so there is certainly a ditch out there which lifts up education as having the answers and says mm-hmm. that if we just have enough knowledge, if we just have enough information, then that is going to save us, right? But in, in a sense, that's the era of Gnosticism, right? Gnosticism Ooh. is yeah. salvation by knowledge, and we have to be very careful to avoid that. Instead, we should view education as a tool to serve the kingdom of God. The, the other ditch is to discard that entirely and to say education has limited value or it's maybe something suspicious that we need to, to, to be very guarded about and, and almost look down on people who want to study and pursue. I've been in several churches over the years where if you want to, say, learn Hebrew and Greek, or you know, go deep there, and they'll say, you know, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with the King James? You know, like, why can't you just mm-hmm. be content with that? And there's a lot of places that forbid people going to college and that oh. say, if you go to higher education, you know, you can't mm-hmm. you can't be part of our communities. And so that error is is also pernicious. The problem with with that side of things is that when you do that, there's there's gonna be education is gonna come in somehow. So what's gonna mm-hmm. happen is that the people in those settings who are hungry to fill themselves with solid preaching and good reading. Well, guess where they're gonna turn? They're gonna to turn towards, say, Protestant evangelicals or you know, mm-hmm. lots of preachers that are out on YouTube and places like that. And they're going to be to, to be getting their education through that. And it's amazing to me. I, I like looking at people's bookcases <laughs> where you walk in and say they're a very committed Anabaptist, and how many of their books on their bookcase, bookcases, are written by Protestant evangelicals, right? It's a huge percentage. How many people are reading the John Pipers of the World and people like that, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of them are. And and although they may personally not pursue education, they're getting the education of, say, John Piper mm-hmm. or Tim Keller or people like that coming in, and you better believe that's coming into their preaching. Mm-hmm. And so so what happens is when we minimize that, we end up creating a vacuum where people who who want to to, to be diligent students of the Word, end up turning to other channels. Mm. And then that vacuum gets filled by the books and tapes and YouTube videos and things like that of people mm. coming in. And so it's going to bleed through. And education is, is too powerful of a tool for us to simply minimize and try to push off to the corner mm. as being something that puffs up. You know, a lot of people say, oh, First Corinthians says knowledge puffs up. And it certainly can when it's done badly and when it's not put in the service of the Church when it's not put in the service of Jesus. However, when it's used rightly, as I think the early Anabaptist did an amazing job at that, mm-hmm. it has this incredible power to to fuel us, to to motivate us, to give us a rich supply of ideas to engage with the outside mm-hmm. world and to I mean, how many of us haven't haven't enjoyed good books over the years? I mean, there's something yeah. about just the power of ideas that is is stimulating and engaging mm-hmm. and really exciting. And so, yeah, we have to be very careful to avoid either of those. Mm-hmm. There's a there's a very interesting speech that was given by someone named Charles Malick many years ago. The speech is called The Two Tasks. And he said the two tasks were saving the soul and saving the mind. And his thesis was that the church had to embrace both vocations, saving the soul and saving the mind. And to the extent that it focused on one rather than the other, it would lose both. And so if you just try to save the soul without saving the mind, you're not going to be able to save souls and vice versa. Mm-hmm. So this, yeah. this enterprise of saving the soul, saving the mind, I mean, it's embedded in Jesus's commands about, mm-hmm. you know, loving the Lord our God with our heart, soul, mind, strength. And so I, th- I see education generally as something that is an incredibly, incredibly powerful tool that's been so abused on all mm-hmm. sides. And as so mm-hmm. often is the case, when people see abuse, they want to turn away. Yeah. But an argument against abuse is not an argument against use. Mm. And if we were to be consistent in applying that, well, hey, people abuse marriage, so let's not get married. <laughs> you know, people abuse the church, so let's abandon the church, right? I mean, there's, it's a silly train, but so often what we what we do is we see the abuse and we overreact on the other side mm. and unfortunately throw out a lot of the benefits that could come from And education in the service of King Jesus. Another piece I would add about education is that there's a a growing interest that many people have, which I think is really good, to go to new countries, to go to cities, Hmm. and to evangelize there. Well, it is so effective. It is so powerful to use education as a tool to get into cities, colleges, and other, Yay, other areas. So I'll give you a couple of examples. Uh-huh. Yeah. So as it turns out, there's two basic segments of the population in America that are open to the gospel. Mm-hmm. And very consistently, in pretty much all 50 states, you're gonna find this to be the case. The two most open groups are students, college students, and international communities. So, so, wow. so the, the, the Joe average person who is maybe suburban or rural, they're just not that interested. They, they've got their their comfortable American life, their their fence, their garage, all that. They just they do the same routine again and again, right? So, so that type of person, not totally closed, not impossible, but generally speaking, that's not where God is moving today. God is moving in those two populations. Now, what a lot of people tell me is they say, "I feel way too intimidated to go and do evangelism on a college campus," and the reason they feel intimidated is that they were never there, right? It's 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 uh, because yeah, they just yeah. they have that fear factor of the unknown. Hmm. Well, guess what? If you've been to college, if you've graduated, one, you find out it's not as intimidating as you might seem. People Mm. are just regular people, just at different stages of life with different experiences. And so I would encourage people to think about something like, it doesn't have to be college per se, but using education as a tool to get in to some of these places. I'll give you another example. So if you want to go internationally and say, uh, get a visa in a different location. Well, the ability to go in as, say, a healthcare professional or as a business owner, this is one of the things that I talk a lot about with Dean Taylor and what's going on in Greece there, mm-hmm. as opposed to coming in and saying, I'm a pastor or I'm going to do be a missionary or something like that. I mean, it's very difficult to get into those places. If you come in with real skills that are credentialed that someone can look at and say, hey, you're going to actually bring value to my, to my country, to our situation— it's a powerful door opener, right? Mm-hmm. And so so why not also look at education, again, as a tool for ministry? You know, obviously there's this self-development idea and, and just being a person who is capable to be that approved workman who's, who's not ashamed, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but as I said, it's a platform to get in. One other thing, too, that I'll, I'll say on the side of education is that people in general don't realize that there's this general phenomenon that if you are properly educated, it gives you humility and you realize how much you don't know. Mm -hmm. If you are content and complacent, it's often, and and, and I don't mean this at all in a negative way, it's often a sign that your lack of education has maybe not opened you up to the vistas and horizons that are out there, right? And there's Mm -hmm. a complacency that can happen there. I mean, I feel like I mean, I'm, I've been in school for a lot of years, I read a lot, and here I am in my mid-40s, and I feel like I'm just getting started with my learning, <laughs> and I feel like I have so much to learn Wow. there. And, and so I think, again, good education mm-hmm. is something that is, is paradoxically, should be generating humility in you, mm-hmm. right? And now it's, it's poor education or a lack of education that makes you complacent and, and can, can put you out. Now, again, yeah, that, yeah. That, can, that can go badly, obviously, and people can be educated for the wrong reasons, mm-hmm. and it can engender pride. But I think the right type of education
1: mm-hmm. is,
0: is is something that should produce a godly yeah. humility.
1: Approaching it with the right perspective.
0: Exactly. Yeah. 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 And there's there's even there's a, a a formal hypothesis that has been proposed and I think very very well validated, where the less you know about a field, the more confident you are about it. The more you know about a field, the less confident you are about it. It's really wow. it's really interesting. So they've wow. they've actually done a very, it, There's a famous case of uh, the, this particular uh, scientist, developed social scientist, where he he studied a robber who mm-hmm. robbed a bank, and he covered his face in lemon juice, thinking that that would make him invisible to the cameras. And this, obviously, it's completely ridiculous, um, <laughs> but he was so ignorant that, you know, that's, that's how you do invisible ink, if you know, yeah, you get, right, take yeah. lemon juice and, and do all that. <laughs> oh, right? my goodness. And this particular uh, hypothesis that he came up with said that, well, hey, the more ignorant you are about something, maybe the more confident you are about it. And lo and behold, that's been true time and time and time again in a variety of studies where, yeah. where if, you, if you know very little about something, I see this happen all the time. I'm a physician, and it's amazing how often people come to wow. me. And they, they couldn't tell you the first thing about the difference between the Golgi apparatus and the mitochondria, but they will tell you for absolute certain that this particular herb that their grandmother gave them is (laughs) going to cure them of this disease. And I've seen a lot of people make very poor health choices rooted totally in ignorance. I mean, they just have absolutely no idea there. But they're absolutely sure as can be. And some some sad cases that I've dealt with in the last few years of people who have had cancer and not gone down routes that were very well-validated, with good evidence, because again, they were just convinced there. And so, again, I think we have to be very careful about that—that mm-hmm. that we don't, we, we're not unaware of this paradox there. That again, mm-hmm. the right education can actually bring humility, and lack of uh, of education can sometimes breed confidence.
1: That is so interesting because I've tried, I've been trying to figure out that mindset because I've I've met a lot of people who are, say, fairly ignorant about a topic, but they will be sure Absolutely. that they're right, and I'm just like, I don't understand this. But what you're saying more knowledge can actually help you be even more humble in a way, if it's done right. Uh, absolutely.
0: You know? And I mean, frankly, frankly, study of the Bible is a good example of that, where yeah. often people who know very little are very, very confident about this, right? Yeah, and, yeah. I mean, even, <laughs> of course. Let's, let's pick on, say, somebody outside the church. I, I, I remember uh, someone coming in to, uh, he was a physician, mm-hmm. into the office area where I was when I was in, a resident, not too far from here. And he came in and he was just blustering about how messed up Christianity was and how the Bible was just full of all these contradictions and all that. And my answer was, so tell me one of these contradictions. And he didn't have one. He, and he, <laughs> he didn't know the Bible at all, but it's just this this idea that gets repeated, right? Where, oh yeah, yeah religion is just this. And, and we see this happen all the time where people on the streets who don't know the first thing about Christianity, mm-hmm. they think they know everything about the religion that there is, right? In reality, they're very, very, very ignorant. And so that phenomenon wow. happens in study yeah. of the Word of God as well, where people who mm. who have really applied themselves very little have a, a false confidence in all that.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've just, I've never thought about it quite that way before. It's,
0: the name is the Dunning-Kruger hypothesis, or the Dunning-Kruger um, philosophy, or, or actually it's really more of a, a, a proposition that's been fairly well-validated mm. That this this there's an inverse relationship mm-hmm. between knowledge and confidence.
1: Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much for taking the time. You're
0: to share. very well, very welcome, Reagan. Yeah. It's been great to be with you. For more information about Anabaptist Perspectives, to read our blog, to donate, and to see videos of the conversations you hear on this podcast, visit AnabaptistPerspectives.org. We love to hear from our audience, so leave your feedback in the comments for this podcast or send us a message through our Facebook page. Thank you for listening, and we'll be back next week with another episode of Anabaptist Perspectives.
1: Thank you for joining us for this episode. We invite you to join our monthly partner program. Monthly partners are key to the financial sustainability of Anabaptist Perspectives. Partners also gain access to bonus content, including our exclusive podcast where we respond to audience questions and comments. Sign up at anabaptistperspectives.org.